Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to Tales to Terrify, part of the District of Wonders network. Featuring Starship Sofa and Far-Fetched Fables, everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good evening, children of the night. Last week, I mentioned the shakeup that Tales to Terrify has in its future. One of the uncertainties in the forecast for my own life is going to be precisely when I'll be overwhelmed with work which means that there is a possibility that laying down a few responsibilities early will give me more free time for a while. So I figured that I'd really tuck into some of horror's greatest novels. That is, of course, a very subjective thing, but it just so happened that a list of 50 greatest horror novels assembled by Steve Fox and the crew at Paste happened to come across my desk. Children of the Night, I have to report that I've heard of nearly every novel on the list with only a few exceptions, but I think I've seen more of the books on the list as movies instead of having read them. Some that I read, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, is one of my favorite pieces of literature, period, so I was happy to see it on the list at number five. Bram Stoker's Dracula, of course, appeared on the list. I've never seen a list of horror novels that didn't include it. I was happy to see Lauren Bucas's novel Broken Monsters on the list, and you've heard her stories here on Tales to Terrify as well. She is also one of the few authors to appear on the list twice, the other time for her novel The Shining Girls. Thomas Harris's The Silence of the Lambs was a good read, although technically I heard it on audiobook, which was narrated by Kathy Bates. If you're going to get anyone to read your novel about the hunt for a deranged butcher of women, make it Kathy Bates. Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury was a wonderful read in high school that I still remember enjoying. I'd probably enjoy reading it again knowing that that Waukegan boy grew up to be as much of a crank as I'd imagined he had. Anne Rice's Interview with a Vampire is another no-surprise appearance on the list. Those are the books on the list that I can recall reading and liking. There are two on the list that, well... Neil Gaiman's Coraline is on the list. Neil Gaiman is a universally loved author. His works have been turned into a good number of television shows and movies. He wrote a book with Terry Pratchett. How many people can claim that? And he's an all-around good guy. And I think his writing is very overrated. And I know that I'm in the absolute minority, so if you like his work, you are in a very inclusive club, and I wish that I could join you. Neil, if you happen to be listening, I wish you the best in the world, and I hope one day that your writing clicks with me. The other item on the list that I'll be just as critical but less respectful, Brett Easton Ellis's 1991 American Psycho. I saw the movie at the encouragement of many friends who thought it was terrific. I didn't like the film. Didn't get it. Couldn't figure out if it was chock full of opaque metaphor and simile, or if it was just an intentionally strange take on the sociopathic serial killer trope. Finding myself in my social group in the minority on this one, I also decided that I must be missing something. So I read the book, and found my take on the book to be the same as from the movie, but amplified. I didn't like it. Found it pointless. And I'm not interested in someone trying to explain it to me or to sell me on it. 
So Children of the Night, I had a bit of a patch there about those couple of books. I didn't say all of that to simply bash an author, but more so to highlight preference and art. We have so many listeners that statistically we have at least one person hearing my voice right now that American Psycho is his or her favorite book. We can still be friends. One of the things that I've appreciated the most about working with Scott Silk on this podcast is his return to Larry's practice of airing classic horror from time to time. For the stretch of time where this was a one-man show, I didn't do that. On a quick glance over the back catalog, my eyes didn't fall on any classic horror pieces that I picked to have narrated and aired. Scott remembers that and likes to honor those who came before us that wrote great fiction. The list of those 50 greatest horror novels that I'll be working from to acquaint myself further with our favorite genre in a longer form has been applied to my favorite library's hold list. The first item to come up, likely because it is in the public domain, is Henry James's The Turn of the Screw. It shows way up on the list at number 10, and is probably one of the shortest reads on the whole list, coming in at about 100 pages. I'm about 85% of the way through the book so far, and I'm at a loss as to why it's on this list. The protagonist is a woman who bounces from professional integrity to hysterics to tenacious bravery to vague anxiety about her situation. So far, she reads to me like if the patriarchy needed a leading lady, because I've now seen this piece on other collections of the greatest horror novels. I know that many of you must like the story as well, and unless the last chapter has a mind-blowing twist on the whole story preceding it, I'm going to not like it. And at the heart of my time as both a listener, then a narrator, editor, and finally host of Tales to Terrify, is the variety of stories I've listened to with you. Years ago, when our friend Cher Eves was the editor for the podcast, she sent me a handful of stories that I didn't care for. But I narrated them for the show all the same. Some were fantastic. I conclude all of that by saying that from the feedback I've received from many of you, I know that we've aired some stories that didn't resonate with everyone, and some that we couldn't get enough of. I'm happy that I was with you for all of that. Horror's short fiction mixtape. We've got some of that fiction for you this evening. Jerry Lean lives in Northern Virginia, not far from where I live, and originally hails from Seattle. In addition to being an avid reader and an at-times sporadic writer, she's passionate about horse racing, uh, the racing part, not betting, tea, whiskey, handbags, and art. She has work appearing in Nature, Orson Scott Card's Intergalactic Medicine Show, Daily Science Fiction, Grievous Angel, Grim Dark, and others, has edited several anthologies for independent presses and is a member of SFWA and HWA. See more at www.garylean.com. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. Children of the Night, lend me your ears for Jerry Lean's She, a Tales to Terrify original.
I was born in this laboratory. I'm a creature of steel and flame and wet cotton. I woke to pain, and she was there. She looks at me like I should know who she is. I don't. I try. I remember nothing. How could I? I was born hours ago, and yet she sits and stares at me, asking me questions I can't answer. I say I was born, and yet to be born is to be a child. I'm not a child. I don't think as a child, or so she says. I don't remember how children think, or speak, or play. Play? Do I remember play? No. She showed me a book with pictures of children playing with a doll. A doll with red hair and dressed in green velvet. But the children in the books were playing with blocks. Do I have a doll? It's all right, she says, smiling in a way I don't understand, her hand warm on mine. Hand, how do I know this word? How do I know how it should feel, cold or warm, soft or hard? Why does her hand feel so good on mine? Why do I think it should be other places on my body? Are you my mother? The children in the book had a mother. She laughs. Oh, heavens no. I'm not that much older than you. Come see. She leads me down to a looking-glass that hangs at the far end of the laboratory. She says I'm beautiful, and I take her word for it. We don't look alike, she with her little glasses and pulled-back dark hair. My hair is blonde and wavy and hangs wild around my shoulders. My eyes are green while hers are brown. Chocolate. I reach out to her reflection and touch her eyes reflected in the glass. What is chocolate? She smiles. Your favorite. My favorite what? Her smile dies. I'll get you some soon. So it's something you eat or drink. You like to drink it. I nod. But I don't remember drinking it. I only remember water. Just hours ago, when I woke, screaming, my flesh on fire, and she was there, wrapping me in cool, wet cotton, letting me sip water from a cup, murmuring that I was back. Where did I go? Would one not have to leave to come back? I'm thirsty, I whisper, and I hear an echo of that in my mind. Have I said that before? I begin to cough and look down at my hand in alarm. It's fine. Just a hand. Not covered in... Red. Why was it red? She makes a face that somehow I know means she doesn't want to speak of this. 
It was red. She turns us away from the mirror. Let's get you some water. I think I hear her add, My darling. So I ask, Am I? She turns, Your darling? The words are familiar like her hand, like the expectation of blood. Yes, red is blood, blood on my hand, on the handkerchiefs, on the bedclothes. Oh. She pushes me into a chair, hurries to the pitcher and pours more water. The sound is so familiar. I close my eyes and feel the soft touch of bedclothes, hear her gentle murmurs as she pours soothe on me. You've done this before. Yes. She holds the glass for me, and that, too, is familiar. Always, she whispers. I will always do this for you. I wake in a bed this time. She's sitting in a chair by the window, gazing out, and the sunshine lights up her hair, giving it a red tinge. Like the doll. Why do I remember a doll? She put me to bed in this room last night, tucked me in and kissed me on the forehead. Sleep well, my dearest, she said, and then she handed me a glass of water. Water that tasted strange, but strange in a way that I know. You drugged me. I struggled to sit up, and she's at my side in an instant. Only because you were fighting sleep and your body desperately needed to rest. You've been through a lot. I frown. What could I have possibly been through? I was just born. I look around the room and see a doll sitting on a low dresser. That, the doll. She brings it to me. Do you like it? It's mine. I say this and I know it. Somewhere in the deepest part of me, even though it makes no sense. She smiles. Miranda. That's her name. I touch the doll's red hair and trail my finger along its porcelain cheek. Then I look at her and ask, What's my name? Isabel. She says it with such emotion, heavy and dark, but her eyes are so soft. What's your name? Mary. She takes the doll from me. Let's put this back where it's safe. Is it not safe with me? Of course it is, she says gently. But when she puts the doll down, I see one of its legs flops strangely. She has to fiddle with it to make it sit as it had been. There, safe as houses. That saying, she said it before. I look down at these buttercream-colored sheets at the coverlet in cornflower blue. The bed is made of some dark wood. Ebony, I think. But I have no idea how I know that. Let's get you dressed for breakfast. It's a big day today. Your first whole day. I slip out of bed and let her help me with the complicated clothing. She names each piece as she slips it on me. Stockings. Drawers. Chemise. 
the corset. How uncomfortable this thing is! And she says she is lacing it loosely. Then the bustle, the camisole and petticoat, until finally a skirt and bodice. She kneels and puts small boots on my feet, brown, to match the ivory and brown pattern of my skirt. There, aren't you a sight for sore eyes? I touch her cheek beneath her glasses and check to see if her eyes are indeed sore. They don't appear so. The deep brown, chocolate, yes, that is how I cannot help but think of them, seem happy as far as I can tell. And she laughs. I've made all your favorites for breakfast, Isabel. How do you know them? I know everything, dearest. She takes my hand in hers, bends down and kisses them, and my body tingles as I seem to remember her lips in other places. I've memorized every detail. I don't ask how this can be, even though her knowledge seems strange when I myself am not sure of my favorites. I don't ask because she won't give me a straight answer. I know this, if nothing else. I find her in the laboratory after breakfast. She left me to wander the house, and it's huge and somewhat dark. There are no pictures anywhere. No photographs, I mean. There are plenty of paintings scattered around the walls of this place. Then I wondered how I know what a photograph is. I can picture one. A hazy image of Mary and me. Taken. When? Is this a memory I have concocted? She's sitting at a steel table, a white cat lying stretched out before her. Is he ill? I hurry over and feel a pang as I look at him. He is. She doesn't stop me from touching the creature, and he sniffs my hand, then rubs his cheek against it. What a sweet animal. He lets out a small cry, and I lean down. What is it? He licks me, his scratchy tongue making me laugh, and I say, Snow, stop it. How do I know his name? I look up at Mary, and she closes her eyes for a moment. Snow's sick, Isabel. What's wrong with him? He's dying. She pets him gently. I can fix him. You can help me. But he's dying. Dying is dying, isn't it? I can fix it. Now, will you help me? She's agitated in a way I've not seen before, so I murmur, Of course. She picks the cat up, carrying him to a different steel table, the one that I first awoke on. Hold him while I give him something to calm him. I pet the cat as he purrs, and I can hear the catch in his breath as he cuddles into me. She motions for me to lay him down, and I do holding him while she injects him with a large needle. He cries, but then goes still, his eyes half-lidded. Snow, Mary says, I do this for so many reasons, my loyal friend. She reaches under the table and brings up straps that she lays over him, 
tightening them above his shoulders and hindquarters. She nods to the next table and hands me a bottle. A roll of cotton lies on the table. Soak the cotton in this. It is diluted carbolic acid. We will need to cool him once this is done and relieve his pain. I put the cotton in a small bowl and pour the liquid over it. The smell is familiar. It was what she wrapped around me when I woke to fiery pain. Move back, Isabel. I step to the other side of the table and watch as a clear glass covering, like the top of a cake dish, goes over snow. Mary walks to the wall, pulls down some large switches, and sparks begin to fly inside the glass container. Snow screams. He moves, but not much. Clearly, whatever she's given him prevents him from getting up, but not from making it known that he's in pain. I close my eyes, suddenly assailed by the memory. Fire through my whole body and the pins and needles feeling of a limb gone to sleep, only all over and so many times worse. Pain, and pain, and pain, and then... This, this whimpering silence. Snow, I say, and my voice comes out as a sob. Let me help him. She flips the switches back, the sparks die down and the clear box lifts off the poor creature. He's moaning, a low, horrible sound. I think I remember that sound. Did I make that sound? I grab the bowl, pull out the soaked cotton, and lay it over him, winding it around his body when he ceases to struggle. When he lays his head back, and the horrible keening stops. My dearest boy... I murmur as I work. All will be well. I look up and see that Mary is watching me, with a look so gentle and full of... Of what? Is that love? Is what I feel for snow... Love? Can I feel love? I'm new to this world. I know things I should not. Yet I don't know other things, such as why her smile makes me feel safe why the touch of her hands as she comes to help me, and the feeling of her breath on my hair moves me so. She grasps my shoulder for a moment, then goes and gets a strange contraption that fits into her ears, with a small bell-like thing hanging down from the other end. It's a stethoscope. She takes it off and puts it on me, the ear bits sinking slightly in, and she holds the bell against my chest. I laugh at the sound. That's your heart. She touches my cheek, and I hear my heartbeat become louder and faster. I swallow hard, take the earpieces out, and hand her the thing. She puts it on again and listens to multiple parts of Snow's body, then begins removing the cotton. Too little of this carbolic acid treatment, and he feels the pain. Too much, and it will cause him more. It's a balancing act, getting it just right. She picks the cat up and carries him upstairs, and I follow her. She gestures with her chin to a chaise. Sit. You can hold him. He'll like that. I recline in the chaise and hold my hands out. 
she gives him to me gently. Then once we are settled, covers us both with a light blanket. Rest, my darlings. What is love, Mary? I gaze up at her, and I imagine my heart begins to beat harder again as she leans down and puts her lips against mine. A soft touch. A short one, too. This, my dear, this is love. She touches snow on the forehead, rubbing on the bridge of his nose, and I hear him purr. He's happy to be back with us. Back. We all seem to come back. You said I was back. I did say that, Isabel. You and Snow. Life is very good indeed. We're outside having a picnic. Snow romps around us, chasing birds and stalking squirrels. We laugh as he fails to catch anything, and he tears around us, finally collapsing on the blanket, his chest heaving. He's the best company, Mary says, and I smile and pet our white terror. He licks my hand, then rolls and looks at Mary as if to say, You too. We both laugh and share a look, a look of pure affection, I think. I know that I don't know this woman well, but deep inside me I feel so much regard for her. Love, I suppose. She has taken such care of me, and her tenderness so dear. I love you, I say into the silence, and her expression changes to one of pure joy. I love you too, Isabel. I always have. I always will. I pull her to me and we kiss over our cat, who rolls and kneads my leg as if to say, I'm still here. When we pull away, she grins at me. That was nice. She strokes my face, the feeling bringing up more of the warm feelings. And I didn't have to make the first move. I very much like that. I laugh. I am a wanton woman, clearly. You are free and innocent, dearest. You've never been wanton. It is one of the things I love most about you. You love only me. I frown. And for a moment her look changes to one of wariness, and she swallows visibly. Have I known anyone else? I ask. Other than the servants who come and go changing frequently since none of them seem to meet Mary's exacting expectations. We see no one. Why do we not entertain? Am I not enough for you? Her tone is light, but her expression isn't. I'm just curious. How can you know how I behave, how I am, if I've only just been born? She seems to relax. Character is always apparent. I pet the cat. Did you know how he would be when you picked him out? I did. There's something off in her eyes, although her smile is real. He was the sweetest of the litter, and look at him now, so dear. Yes, he is. I offer him some chicken from my plate, and he gobbles it up. You've eaten so little of your food, Isabel. I'm not hungry. I drink some of the wine she poured us, but it goes down the wrong way and I begin to cough. A cough that doesn't seem to want to stop. She watches me with an almost hopeless expression. It will pass. 
It will pass. She sounds as if she's trying to convince herself as much as me. I finally stop coughing and sit, not moving, afraid to set off the fit again. She reaches out and touches my hand. I will make you a syrup of honey and whiskey. It's good for coughs. So is laudanum. I don't know why I've said this. I'm not sure I even know what laudanum is. She sighs. Yes, laudanum's good, but perhaps a bit strong. You just swallowed the wrong way. You don't feel chilled or feverish, do you? No, I smile at her. Are you fatigued? I laugh. With you, never. She shoes the cat from between us, and he takes off after a bird he has no chance of catching. Then she eases me down and seems to be waiting to see if I'll cough again. I'm fine. She slowly begins to touch my body. Is it all right if I do this? The feeling is new, but also familiar. The touches, the ones I've remembered since my birth. I can feel a slow fire building. That fever you mentioned? I smile. She laughs. This one is of an entirely different origin. And then she kisses me. While she continues to run her hands up and down to the most amazing effect. My skirt and petticoat are soon up and I am very noisy as we lie on our blanket. My, I say, enjoying the trembling ennui that has overcome me. I turn my head to look at her and she's smiling. Shall I return the favor? It would be the ladylike thing to do. I laugh. Sure that it would probably not be. But I do it anyway. She's even noisier than I was. Darling, are you coming down for dinner? Mary has found me in my dressing gown, lying on the fainting couch and sipping water. Are you all right? I had another coughing fit. Perhaps you should make me some of your remedy. She comes over, settles her hand on my forehead, and frowns. You're so warm. I'm also tired. Snow comes in, mewling for his dinner, no doubt. But he jumps up on the couch with me and crawls up my legs to my chest and knows me. Yes, my love, I say as I stroke his soft fur. Does it feel a bit oily? You'll make me feel all better. Mary smiles. I'll bring the food in here. We'll enjoy a little tete-a-tete in our bedroom. My bedroom has become our bedroom, ever since the picnic, when she showed me how love could be when it was acted upon. How good we could make each other feel. Yes, that would be lovely. She turns and Snow deserts me for the possibility of dinner. I notice he's moving more slowly and seems to be limping. Mary? She turns back. Snow. Something's wrong with him. He probably jumped down from one of the china cabinets again. You know how intrepid he is. It's his misfortune that the concept of finessing the landing eludes him more often than not. I laugh. She's right, of course. 
Mary and I lie in bed and I stare over at the doll. Miranda. Why did I name her that? But how could I have named her? She's Mary's doll, no matter how much I might delude myself that she's mine. Mary follows my gaze and smiles, slipping from my embrace and getting up to fetch Miranda, to bring her to me. I take her as Mary gets back into bed. She cuddles against me and I kiss her forehead, then turn back to the doll. She's so beautiful. I realize her leg moves strangely because it's been broken. What happened? She fell. There's something in Mary's voice that makes me think there's more to this story. Fell? Yes, the maid, clumsy girl. I let her go, of course. You let all of them go. No one stays around here for long. I have high expectations for how they'll keep this house. They never seem to share those expectations. I prefer to try again than live with a poor outcome. I laugh and put the doll between us. If I had a daughter, I'd name her Miranda. Mary's look is haunted. But before I can ask why, I begin to cough. She helps me up, and I reach for the handkerchiefs I keep by the bed. Then she gets up and hurries to her room, coming back with laudanum. Here, this will make it better. I take the syrup reluctantly. It does make the cough better, but leaves me so enervated that all I do is doze. We should call a doctor. I am a doctor, my darling. This is best. She rubs my back as I continue to cough, but the fit calms, as it always seems to with this medicine. Rest. Lie close to me. I'll look after you. I will always look after you. I lie in bed, sipping the cup of hot chocolate Mary has brought me. Snow lies on the coverlet, his eyes only half-focused. His breathing as labored as mine has become. He's sick again, I say, and she nods. Your procedure didn't heal him. It did, for a time. She reaches over to pet him, and he presses his head against her hand. I love him so. I know you don't remember, but he was ours. We got him from a farmer who had a basket of kittens on his wagon. We picked Snow out, not just I. He was the sweetest of the litter. He loved us both so much. I frown. I have no idea what she's talking about. When did we do this? He's nine now. We got him when he was but a few months old. Nine years? We've been together that long, but how? I was... I don't remember. I know. She pets Snow, and he rolls over slowly, clearly not an easy movement for him. But he seems to want to let her rub his belly. I'll fix him again. Each time he lasts a little longer. But he's only been with us for a few months since you fixed him the first time. Not the first time. And when I started working on him, he only lasted days. She meets my eyes. He seems to remember less and less each time about this place. Has to explore every nook and cranny to learn the smells again. 
but his essence, his sweetness, that never changes. And he always loves me, us, no matter how much he forgets. How many times have you fixed him? She looks away, seems to swallow hard, and then says, Eighty-nine. I do not doubt her. She has a mind for such details. I meet her eyes and see a sadness in hers, but also an openness that isn't usually there. I realize she's not hiding anything anymore, and a chill runs through me. I put the cup back onto the saucer. And me? You've done it to me, haven't you? That's why I woke up, was born on that slab. She nods. Why? I start to cough again, the racking hurting my sides, but I cough something up into my hand. Blood. It's blood, just like I first expected to see. You have consumption, my darling. You're dying. You're always dying. But each time I get you back, it lasts a little longer, just like snow. And do I forget more each time? You do. She reaches over and grasps my hand firmly in hers. But you always love me, always, no matter how much you forget. Next time you may forget how you think my eyes look like chocolate, or how much you love that doll, but you never forget me, not at your essence. We're destined to be together. I'm not sure what to say. I gaze down at snow, then let my eyes go to Miranda, sitting so still, so perfect, except for that leg. Never leaving this room, posed and pretty and prisoner. Mary, you love me. You said so. I do love you. I would do anything for you. She lets go of my hand and pets snow again. I'll fix him one last time and he'll be here when you next wake up. But he's the problem every time because I cannot resist bringing him back as many times as he needs it. But I have to resist because he's what tips you off, makes you question, makes the days you have between the current waking and the next full of doubt. She leans down, her lips lying on his forehead, and he pushes up into her. I'll let him go after this last healing, so that I can keep you. Me? How much of me is going to be left when you get done? I've lost so much already. I stare at the doll. Did she really fall? No. You broke her. Early on, when you had almost all your memories and you figured out what I was doing, you were angry with me, compared yourself to her, and threw her across the room. It was lucky that she wasn't more damaged. She studies the doll, biting gently into her lower lip. I probably need to get rid of her, too. Mary, I won't let you do this. I'll leave. You can't bring me back if you can't find me. 
I start to get up, but the room begins to spin. You said that last time, my darling, and the time before that, and the time before that. Once you even managed to get to the stables, but you'd forgotten how to saddle your horse. I caught you before you could leave. I'm your prisoner. You're my love. I stare at her. Her expression hasn't changed. And it's so full of love for me that I reach out to her. If you love me, then don't do this. It's not what's best for me. But it is what's best for us. She looks down, her hand still on poor Snow. And for me. I feel a terrible lethargy coming over me. The chocolate. She has drugged my chocolate. And I see her expression change to one of utmost sorrow. Let me go, I whisper. I'm sorry, Isabel, but I can't. I feel her hand on my cheek, her lips pushing lightly on mine. The same kiss as our first one. How many first kisses have we had? And then the world goes black. I was born in this laboratory. I am a creature of steel in flame and wet cotton. I woke to pain when she was there. She looks at me like I should know who she is. I don't. That was Jerry Lane's She, as read by Josie Babin. Josie has a deep love for all things terror. That is why she chose an abandoned foreclosure as her first home purchase, when not hanging drywall or convincing herself that the noise she heard was just the house settling. She can be found in a lab convincing stem cells to cure diseases. In-between times are filled with playing outside in the San Diego sun, imposing snuggles on her two cats, and sometimes even her human companion. Narrating stories is a special treat that she enjoys immensely, and she hopes you enjoy listening to them. As always, thank you, Josie. That'll be our show for the evening, Children of the Night. Visit our Patreon page in the links below, and don't forget to like us on Apple Podcasts. Our show is produced by our editors Scott Silk, Seth Williams, and Drew Sebastini. Website designed by Josh Lightsey, and theme music by Diane Severson. Tales to Terrify is distributed under Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 license. Join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. 
You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.